This episode of Positive Space is brought to you by Chartpack, parent company of 14 art supply brands including Grumbacher, Molotow Markers, Higgins, and Cullinore Drawing Supplies. Pens, pencils, paints, and paper? Chartpack has it. Check out Chartpack and their brands at chartpack.net. Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory, and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes. Positive Space. This is Valerie Powell, and joining us via Skype, we have Gwen Montgomery, who is a lecturer at the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana. Welcome, Gwen. Yes, thank you, Valerie. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, to be speaking with you via satellite, elves, or ho- however this is working in the internet world. But I thought we could just sort of start off a little bit and talk about your artistic practice, because I know that you're a maker of things, and you have ideas about things, and so maybe you could sort of share with us a little bit about what that looks like for you. Yeah, let's see. So I am a maker of things. I'm a maker of many kinds of things. Um, I recently was debating with myself whether to to call myself a interdisciplinary artist, a mixed-media artist, a who's-he-what's-it type artist, because I combine a lot of different media and cross-disciplines, so it seemed like I needed some kind of qualifier there to explain that there was a lot going on, and then I just realized one could just call themselves an artist. I actually had a friend help me come to that realization, so now I'm just calling myself an artist, but I do combine a lot of things. Printmaking is often involved, uh, big into performance. I must not have gotten enough attention as a child, so I have always been really into theater and sort of push the theater into my own practice uh, in by way of performance and performative works. Um, and then I also do a lot of just sort of crazy um, experiments. I, I enjoy learning new things. So, for example, I recently took an enameling class and I learned to enamel on metal, which I'm going to try and like incorporate into my process as well. I have been known to do a lot of printing on fabric and then upholster things. I have a large collection of uh, secondhand wigs that have come into my work frequently. So it's across the board. There's <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of ins and outs, lots going on there. Um, my challenge is always to make things more succinct, to distill down into something that says what I'm trying to say without being too all over the place. Cause I, I always want to have my hands in like a bunch of different pots at the same time. Wow. So the, the space that you're making all these things and planning all these experiments, it must be filled with all kinds of wild materials. It sounds like. Yes, there are a lot of, it's sort of like the cave and the little mermaid. It's like, who's it and what's it's galore thingamabobs. I've got yes. thingamabobs. Lots of thingamabobs in here. Man. And then I think that song is like, but who cares? No big deal. I want more. And I often feel that way as well. I'm trying to resist breaking into song right now. 
and just seeing the little I was going to say, I mean, I kind of, yeah, I kind of want to just put my hair down and just get underwater right now because mm-hmm. um, yeah. I'm just excited that, that you're referencing The Little Mermaid in such a deeply specific way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Disney princess collections really uh, influenced my work. So, Um, no, that's not true. Just to be clear, that doesn't frequently come into my work. But I am am really interested in collected objects. So I do have many collections and I collect things and I make things in series of collections. So um, I do this series of etched irons where each of the irons are a little uh, memorial to the various vermin and sad mammals and creatures that arrive on my doorstep thanks to the best worst cat that I own. He is the <laughs> because he's like my bosom buddy. He's my best friend, but he also uh, does a lot of killing to keep himself calm. And he was originally an inside cat where he was kept, uh, the world was kept safe from him, but he was sort of destroying our house. So we had to start letting him outside and uh, it's taken a toll on the neighborhood shrews. He specifically is really murderous towards these poor short tailed Eastern shrews. Um, and so each time one of these things show up, um, I have been making, I've been re- doing a drawing of it and then turning that into these little memorial irons and etching them with, ferric acid or another combination of acids depending on what the metal is made out of and these are an ongoing series so it's something that I've started I think it was like 2015 and it's continued into 2018 and I've got a couple more that I'm going to do and I'm just sort of keeping a record that way so there's lots of irons that are waiting to be to be waiting to be etched in my studio along with the other whoosie what's it's and then I also tend to collect ceramic figurines um, of a specific title type. I'm really interested in uh, useless things that we surround ourselves with that sort of just collect dust. And dust is interesting to me because it's these floating skin cells and bits of the environment. And then when you remove the collectibles that have been sitting on the shelf, there's this evidence of it having been there. So I guess all of these bits of things that I collect and use in my work tend to be a way of skirting around portraiture. I'm always interested in um, residue and evidence of a person or a person's relationship to their space. So uh, it's a kind of like abstraction of portraiture because I'm always depicting uh, imagined people or actual people that I know through these things. So exciting. I mean, I feel like I, I sort of knew that about you in many ways, but I'm, it's so exciting to hear about all these things you have going on and it just seems like there's so much happening not only in your space where you're working but just in your mind that you've got all these sort of irons in the fire (laughs) actual irons (laughs) yeah yeah there's just another thing that I'm working on is this um, collection of I've been screen printing on tent fabric um, in some cases actually putting these screen printed patterns of accumulated um, domestic objects onto tents, the kind of tent you would go camping in, very much a commercial sort of like maybe you got it at Kmart and then you went camping on Memorial Day weekend kind of tent. And then also just printing on the tent fabric and turning them into little upholstered stools that get piled with the tents that are themselves sort of piled that are depicting piles of objects. So a lot of my work is just about material out, materiality 
our relationship to objects and how they might reveal us. Uh, so that's another thing that I'm also working on. I have more of these stools that are in the process of being made and hope to make more of the larger scale tent pieces as well. And then I had a show of this work with my partner, Emmy Lingscheit, um, at USU this last fall. So I, there was a big push to make a bunch of stuff for that. And now I think I'm going to continue in that direction and keep making things uh, that are playing with this idea that we have this accumulation of possessions that we that we enjoy and we want to acquire all these things. But then we also do things like go camping where we want to let go of all of those things. We have this fantasy that you can you can release yourself from your possessions for a while and play at a kind of back to nature, almost homelessness that I find to be a little bit interesting because it's related to class. Um, and the people who tend to go camping tend to be the kind of people who can both afford to do that and and have possessions that they're escaping. So it's kind of a, a dichotomy or this weird tension between the two things that, that was the focus of this show we had at the uh, Utah State University in the fall. Exciting. And I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned the tent process that, that y'all have been working on. Because I remember when I saw you in maybe L.A. or something at CAA, right? I want to say you showed one to me or I feel like I've seen them somewhere somehow. Yes, um, and I was I just think it's such a. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was uh, a tarp from that project that I I brought out. We showed that in the MACAA. MACA had a pop-up gallery, little shindig in one of the hotel rooms at CAA um, in 2000. It was 2018 still, right? It feels like it was maybe a decade ago, but it was only just in February. Um, but yeah, we had a pop-up show, so I showed it there. Um, and I think I pulled it out in the hotel room and showed it to you then as well. So yeah, that's from that mm-hmm. box. You, you, your practice involves so many different skill sets and drawing and enameling and experimenting and play and and collecting things and wig wearing and mm-hmm. <laughs> mind bending stuff. Um, and and you're at, you're trained as a printmaker, and so you teach printmaking, or is 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 that your role at yeah. U of I? Yeah, well, because I'm kind of a jack of all trades or Jill of all trades, if you will, I... <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, rhymed. You just made that rhyme. That was amazing. Um, yeah, I'm also a DJ, and I'm working on my my um, poet career as well. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I am... Uh, at the university, I was teaching in the design program, in 3D design, um, which is sort of our buffet introduction to all things 3D, kind of like a sculpture light class that the foundations students take. Um, so I was teaching in foundations uh, when I first came in, but then we are rearranging things so that those design classes are going to shift into uh, more traditional. You'll choose a three-dimensional area to study, and you'll actually take either a metals class or sculpture one class or uh, ceramics one instead of getting the kind of overview that foundations tends to do. So things are changing. And with that change, I will be moving to, I was teaching half and half in foundations and printmaking. And now I'll be moving mostly to teaching in printmaking with a little bit of room in my schedule to occasionally teach some things that are some kind of made up courses that I'm working on with colleagues of mine. I have a colleague who is an amazing graphic novel illustrator named Stacy Robinson. And he is 
We've been discussing the idea of creating maybe a graphic novel class or a class that talks about uh, the com that somehow combines the technical screen printing or zine making, risograph, those kinds of ways of making dissemination or works that can be disseminated um, with a uh, illustration, digital illustration and traditional illustration class. So we're thinking of some hybrids there. Um, and I may get to teach that in the future, which is really exciting. It's still in the works um, and we're still playing with the idea. But but that's something to look forward to. And then the rest of the time, I'll just mostly be teaching printmaking. We are slowly building a printmaking program at the University of Illinois. Um, my partner and I, Emmy, is the professor of printmaking at UIUC. And she is responsible for teaching some of the advanced classes I tend into tend to teach the intro to printmaking, which will soon have freshmen in it, which is going to be an interesting thing. Right now we are teaching intro to printmaking mostly to seniors and juniors because the class fills so quickly. Um, we only offer two printmaking classes a, a semester and the class fills so quickly that only upperclassmen were able to get into it. They've changed things again. So now the freshmen are going to be funneled into these classes immediately. And it'll be really interesting to try and hook students on printmaking use that screen print as a kind of gateway drug to printmaking early on. I'm excited about getting some some fresh meat in the printmaking department, getting people excited about it their first year. That's wonderful. And it seems seems like there there has been a lot of the changes there in terms of how you guys are thinking about foundations and how you're thinking about introducing printmaking, which is really exciting. Yeah, yeah. I'm I, I think it's gonna be you know, the first year experience is so specific. It really is a different time. And students are so different when they're 18. And in some cases, we have 17-year-olds to when they're upperclassmen. I mean, it's just teaching my design foundations class, the demographic there versus the demographic when I'm teaching seniors and juniors and printmaking, they're just 180 degrees different. I mean, it's the amount of um, self-knowledge and maturity that's developed the process of going to college really is, it uh, substantially changes students. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it's going to be to mix these different demographics and also what curricular changes will need to happen to to make sure that the freshmen coming in have enough of the basic color knowledge and basic tools and techniques to be able to use these skills that we're teaching them in printmaking, but not leaving out any of those foundational things that they might have been getting when we had a more traditional foundations program. I'm excited about the changes. I actually mm -hmm. think um, the chair of foundations here, Chris Kinky, has done a really, really awesome job working with the faculty to figure out something that will work for our university. I think we're, we're maybe not unique, but different in that we have a vast majority of students going into more technical industrial design and then also graphic design fields. And they have a strong desire to go straight into their degrees and to start tasting what it is to do industrial design early on. And we want them to do that because if they're not actually meant to be industrial designers, they should figure that out um, before they become seniors. Uh, so we're hoping this is sort of an experiment and we're hoping to, it'll be a change for the better, but but it will definitely be interesting to see what it's like to have these first year experience freshmen um, in the printmaking class, which in the past has moved pretty quickly. And I think I'm going to do some revision, step back, have it a little more 
ink mixing and color theory built into it and maybe make some of the projects slightly more remedial so that they're not overwhelmed with all of the technique that we throw at them. That's so fun, Gwen. That's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Chris was on the podcast, uh, Chris Kinky, at some point. I, I'm not even going to try to remember when um, <laughs> when when it was, um, but but he, he's a phenomenal human being, and that's so great that you guys get to work together. Yeah, he's he is a sweetheart. He um, is across the aisle from me in my office, so I see him most days of the school year. I know he's off doing doing the art thing this summer, making new work. I saw he was making some cool, looks like ceramic uh, mask pieces on Instagram. I'm creeping creeping on all my colleagues and friends on Instagram, seeing what they're up to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's been great to work with Chris. He's really he's really good, and I think that he is really smart. Um, I know he's given a couple of conference presentations about how this change came about and what it is we're doing. And, you know, it's sort of like we're changing foundations, trying to hold on to the things that are important about foundations, the things like the community and the the combined student experience of the freshman class. We want to hold on to those courses that create colleagues amongst students. Um, and we want to make sure that they're getting all of those basic things, but also acknowledging that we have a program that is specific and has specific needs for students moving directly into their degree. Um, so he's, he's done a lot of good work on that. And you had mentioned MACA, M-A-C-A-A. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a I'm the liaison to MACA. I get to sit on that board and we are the Mid-America College Art Association. So it's a little bit like CCAC or um, even like FADE or CAA. It's a one of these organizations that is interested in bringing college art educators together to talk about pedagogy, but also our own how to be a professional, how to um, continue to make your own work as an academic. So it has many of the, some overlapping goals as CCAC and FADE. We originated with a emphasis in the Midwest. I think that was sort of the mid-America part. And it actually used to be very sculpture heavy. And like CCAC or many of these regionally specific organizations, it's spread. So it is no longer focusing only on the Midwest. However, we are having our next conference in October, and it will be in the Midwest. It's going to be at the University of um, Nebraska-Lincoln. So we're going to be at UNL, and that is in October. I think it is, let's see, the October 4th through 6th. So we'll be having our conference there. It's called Techni Expanding, and it's going to be really great. Lincoln has a really interesting, vibrant art scene that I'm learning about through this process. And they have some cool digital uh, video displays. They have this thing called the Cube that's going to be a large-scale video installation that artists will have work showing on. And they have a lot of really cool things planned for MACA in the fall. I'm pretty excited about it. And they talk about techni expanding as being related to how technology is changing the fields we work in. But Sandra Williams, one of the people who is from UNL, professor there, and also somebody who's really heading up this effort to bring MACA and the conference there, you know, she was mentioning it could be the technology of a pencil. So it doesn't, it's not limited to 3D printers and digital technologies. It's really just thinking about technology as it's changed over time. Great. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it being in Nebraska. But in terms of 
Mid-America. So you you also so you serve on the state board as the liaison for this um, affiliate organization. And so how how did you get involved with Fate? Yeah, I've been involved with Fate since let's see, it was a conference. I think the first conference I went to was in Savannah, Georgia, and the year of that might have been 2012 or 13. I'm feeling like it's one of those. 13, 2013. Mm-hmm, okay. mm-hmm. Nicely done. Okay. Yeah. And I was able to speak. There was a, a, a amazingly talented young lady who invited me to speak on a panel she was having about critiques. I believe her name was Val- Valerie Powell. <laughs> and so it was about uh, critique strategies. And I decided to speak about how um, my theater background and performance can play into critique and how you might make the critique more comfortable or more zany or somehow more productive um, for students. And that was an awesome experience. Um, the whole conference was amazing. Savannah is freaking gorgeous and they have amazing scarves. Two of my favorite scarves were purchased during that conference. Yeah, important facts. And Emily Bivens, also a friend and um, mentor of mine was there as well. I think that she introduced us. Um, And then it it was just like, oh, oh, it's magic from then out. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and it's so funny because I, I remember, you know, curating you onto that panel and I didn't know you, you were just like a wild card person. I mean, I don't know, I don't know anyone, but, but, but like, I, I didn't know you and, and, um, and then Emily and I were going to room together and, um, at the Savannah conference. And then she's like, Hey, you know, can, can Gwen, you know, you don't know her, but she's really cool. Can she room with us? And I was like, sure. Gwen, that sounds familiar. Do I know Gwen? And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. I've been emailing this person for like three months. And like, <laughs> she's going to be on the panel. So it was just very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I showed up and I was like, where's that bathrobe? Give me that white bathrobe. It's time for work. Yes. Valerie and Rope I time is, is yeah, so good. We have a, a <laughs> conference tradition, which is uh, – when preparing for one's panel or presentation, you need to don your hotel robe, kick off your shoes. Maybe if they provide a uh, paper slipper, you might want to put that on as well. Just get comf, get real comf, saddle in, and then laptops on bellies, go to it. Exactly. It's And it doesn't even have to be the fake conference. It could be any conference, you know, CAA, it's happened happened at a lot of them yeah I'm so so happy that I found my road friend it's so good and well so, well so you in terms of fate what made you want to go to that first conference or why do you think it's something that you wanted to get involved in yeah well I mean the people are a big part of it I I mean the people are it for me it's getting to know the people that are like Colleen and Katie Hargrave and Jessica and yourself, um, Stacy, all these people that are involved in fate are incredible educators and artists that are balancing these two things in really graceful ways. Um, and so it's inspiring. It feels good to be in that community. It makes me feel like I too can manage my pedagogical load and my, uh, career as an artist. There's a lot of support too, for people like myself who are not tenure track, who are still hustling out there. 
I, I really like that. I mean, I'm a joiner kind of, I think I just like to be in um, <laughs> communities of people who are interested in things that I'm interested in. And it's an inclusive space. I mean, they, it just feels like kind of a, an art family that once you get out of grad school, it can be hard to find those places. And the, the challenges of balancing all of this are really unique to, to teaching in college and still having these expectations of becoming, uh, you know, a Guggenheim recipient someday. So I, I like talking to, uh, these strong, powerful, smart, often ladies that, uh, are, are doing some of this kick-ass stuff. Um, so that's a big part of it. People are a big part of it. Also the ideas that I've gotten from it. I went to, of course I was at the fate, most recent fate conference and in Kansas city. Right. Um, right. and the, there was a, a presentation by Shannon Lindsay, who's a friend of mine who spoke about different strategies, interesting she, things she'd done in the classroom project-wise. And I wrote down one of these projects, and then I actually ended up contacting her and using the project this last semester. It was kind of a what-would-they-make project. Instead of a, the kind of master study you would do in painting, it's applying a similar philosophy to uh, 3D design and sculpture, and having them look at artists um, like Dohosa and Tara Donovan and then choosing someone that they've fallen in love with, um, and then making something that's a collaboration with that artist. So not replicating it, but trying to understand that, do enough research that they understand what that artist's concepts and uh, materials and processes like, and then creating installation or piece in a group that um, responds to that artist or collaborates with them in some way. And that was a really cool project. Um, I wish I had thought of it. It's very smart. So I, I employed yeah, that. That's really smart. Yeah, it's so good. It was really great. And some people got, I mean, you know, you have, there's always a, a few standout uh, students that really just nail it. Um, and there were, there were some that I, I was impressed with for sure. There was an excellent Mike Kelly. Somebody responded to Mike Kelly's work, sort of a stuffed animal bonanza there um, that actually <laughs> really well, of course, had a lot of Tara Donovan. People are, they really understand how you could put together a bunch of styrofoam cups or um, actually had some really, really dynamic chopstick sculptures out of that. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was a it was a pretty good project. I was stoked about how that worked out. And if it were not for that conference, I wouldn't have known about it. it gave me a chance to try something new in the classroom, which we get in these ruts of teaching the same content over and over because it's easy to not have to redesign your class every semester. Um, but with the help of this conference, it gave me a path to seeing how I might be able to shake things up a little and use a model of project that would be interesting, but had already been tried. And uh, and I was able to talk to Shannon about how she got them to make good work, the strategies there. So it was really useful. Oh, that's awesome. She is such an incredible human being. I mean, she's, she's yeah, she, she was on the podcast and I feel like she talked about that a little bit, or at least that's that's ringing a bell. I, I might've gone to that same session, but, um, what a smart idea, especially to have them do that in collaboration, like sort of this, like imagine collaboration with an artist, but then also do it in, in a group, um, of your peers. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Students are so frustrated and reluctant to do group work. And it's interesting because you're, I mean, the entire world is group work being alive. <laughs> so true. 
Uh, no one is an island. But also, you're just constantly having to uh, qualify what it is you believe or express what it is that you want or collaborate or communicate with the human beings that are around you in all situations and settings in your life. So I think it's good practice um, to to expose them to the group project, although there is always a little bit of frustration about not having total control. I think there are good ways to do that that prepare them for lives as, uh, in our case, designers, where you're probably going to be working with a team of people and have a client that has specific expectations. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I, I love what you just said, like the entire world is group work. I mean, that's so true. And the more practice, you know, all of us can have with that, I think the the better. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you, you mentioned this kind of casually. You've been doing some name dropping, um, but I know you're going to be famous at some point when this goes on uh, iTunes. But, but like, <laughs> and I know that's one of your goals. Sorry, yes, that is one of my goals. Uh, it's hard for me to talk over you, Valerie, because in our friendship, I tend to have a collaborative way of speaking. So I want to just like jump in all the time. But yes, the, um, this is my rainbow bridge to fame, these, this iTunes podcast. <laughs> That is putting a lot of pressure on this conversation. <laughs> but um, but you also um, have been doing Instagramming. I think you brought fate into the um, Insta, as the kids talk about it, world. Um, <laughs> yes. We, Do you I mean, want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, that's that's collaborative effort also. Also, I think Rainbow Bridge might be something you say when someone dies, so that's probably a mixed metaphor that doesn't apply to the situation, but no pressure. Um, Instagram is also how we are going to get super famous, uh, Valerie and I both. We created <laughs> Fate Instagram that is art foundations, because what's more fun than foundations? Very little things. That's a rhetorical question. Um, so... Art Foundations is the uh, handle. I like to post both things that I would consider less successful and more successful projects, but also feature things that are happening. Like we had, there was a regional um, event recently that uh, Jessica Burke was involved with, and she sent me some really awesome snaps from that. Uh, I think the kids say snaps also. We showcase other uh, programs work. I know Naomi has some really neat work that's come out of her uh, her school and some of their foundation students are really kicking ass there. So yeah, the Insta is up and going and we would love for anyone who hears this podcast to jump on board with us. Send us pictures also. I would love to post more pictures of other work from other programs. What are your foundation students doing? Do you have an assignment that you want to showcase? I want to, I want to involve our community in this Instagram a little bit more. It's wonderful. Yeah, that's, that's so good. And I mean, I think it's just another way to kind of continue the conversation, right? Continue to sort of be inspired by what other people are doing because it's, it's so nice to, to have access um, to everyone and just get to kind of see what people are up to. Yeah, it really does help me feel like I'm staying tuned in with people and the things that they're doing in their classrooms. Yeah, and also when we have a conference, we're going to be doing a lot of live Instagramming, um, all kinds of cool millennial type things like that. So it gives people... 
<laughs> if you can't be there, you still have, um, you're still able to get eyes on some of the, the sweet things that are going down. Yeah. It, it's a nice way of including people. And it's a, it's fun to feel like, like I'm getting to reach out to people in the fate. You know, I know a lot of people on the board. I know a lot of people who come to the conferences, but we get new members all the time. And, um, I'm meeting some of those people and seeing their work through Instagram, which is pretty awesome. I think that's maybe when technology works the best is when you actually get that kind of um, world building exposure. Right, because it really can expand and increase just the whole vibe of a community when it works in, in its best way, of course. Right. Yeah. Um, well, so you, you mentioned looking looking at um, Instagram, but like, what are you? You know, it's summertime, but I'm I'm curious. You know, what are you listening to, or what are you looking at, or what are you? What's like your jam that you're mm-hmm. you're checking out right now? Yeah, I got a few jams. Music wise, I I mean, this is not what I'm reading or looking at, but I my summer jam is a song that is not new, but it's called I Thought the Future Would Be Cooler by Yacht. Uh, if you don't know that, <laughs> it perfectly summarizes how I feel uh, about right now. One of the lyrics is I thought the brave world would be newer. It's pretty perfect. So that's a great one. But yeah, let's see. What am I what am I spending my time doing? I am trying to read like 800 books at once right now. I'm so excited about having time to read. I just started them all. 800 is a little bit of an exaggeration, um, but I am reading. (laughs) So I am reading uh, the I just I just finished this um, the second book in a series of three books. The Three Body Problem is a series of uh, sci-fi books that are pretty incredible. Um, we're talking like I am. I'm, I'm just so so on fantasy. I do like sci-fi. This is some of the most interesting sci-fi reading that I have stumbled across in a long time. It's by Shishin Liu, so C-I-X-I-N-L-I-U. And it's part of this trilogy of books um, about uh, this concept. It's Fermi's paradox, this reason, sort of trying to figure out why we haven't made contact with um, alien civilizations yet. And it talks a little bit about the idea that uh, the universe is a dark forest that there, if there are other civilizations in the universe, it's maybe not in our best interest to be standing here, waving a flag and shouting like we're here because it's likely that what would happen is what happens when any more advanced civilization, um, comes to a less advanced civilization, they would likely obliterate the less advanced civilization, which if they can get to us, they are probably a more advanced civilization. So it's an interesting kind of escape from my other other things that I'm thinking about. I also finished N.K. Jemison's The Broken Earth Trilogy, which is a pretty sweet geological-based fantasy series. What else? I listened to Michelle McNamara's I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Uh, Patton Oswalt's wife yeah, passed away recently. Um, and she wrote this book about the Golden State Killer who was recently caught. So I, I got really excited about this murder mystery situation and have had some, some creepy moments with that book. We live in the kind of subdivision that is so exactly what is described in this book where... Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, there's... 
There's definitely some like curtain closing and double door locking going on after listening to that book. Um, but it's really good. Oh, podcasts. I am a hardcore podcast listener. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I do them when I'm doing like needle felting or printmaking or tasks that are technical and repetitive. It's really nice to have something going on in the background. So I listen to on the media a lot, but that's uh, in this political time that we are in a little bit depressing at times. It can be hard to just go from one on the media episode to the other because you start to just feel like we're done. We should just call this experiment off. So to, to sort of get back the sunshine in my life, I then listened to something called Two Dope Queens, which is... Oh, I love um, that podcast. Oh, my goodness. So good. So good. I've learned a lot. I, I've incorporated all the, these things that they say into my um, speech patterns. Like, I think it's Jessica is always saying, don't drag me. I really love that. Um, and <laughs> yes. Yes. So they, they also abbreviate everything, which I was already sort of doing. And now it's gone way over the top. They are hilarious. The comedians that they have on are freaking fantastic. I just listened to one with Tig Notaro and they had John Hamm. Oh, I loved that. It was yeah. so I know. God, they're so good. Um, they're the funny. They're so, so smart. They are so smart and they're so quick on their feet. I don't understand. I have never been good at improv. They say funny things just that came from their minds in that minute. You know, they and they play off each other in this really amazing way. I and mean, they are they are the sh- oh, we might have to bleep that, but they are amazing. They really uh, are. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. What a PG thirteen. So the the last things that I, I do want to get in that I don't just listen to comic shows and read science fiction. I also try and read <laughs> academic smart things. So um, I'm also reading these. Uh, I'm reading. This is actually something that I would recommend to fate listeners. Places of Learning by Elizabeth Ellsworth is a really incredible book in that it is talking about um, anomalous places of learning as a hinge for connecting the experience of the the inner self to the outside world. Um, so we all have these interior worlds where we're sort of like looking at our phone and thinking our thoughts and then that there are spaces that actually connect us and make real our reality outside and that those spaces could be things like architecture or um, even uh, design and art. So it's a really good book. It connects pedagogy to art in a way that is more direct and interesting than some of the other things I've read. I'm also trying to read Judy Chicago's Institutional Time, but I haven't started that one yet. So I'll let you know when I do. Oh, wow. Yeah. No kidding. That, that, that's a good one. Yeah. Incredible. You're, you're doing a lot of stuff, Gwen. Yeah, I am trying to fit in everything you know, before the semester gets rolling again, I want to make sure that I get take advantage of this time because it is precious time. Speaking of it precious, is. Val, um, I wanted because <laughs> <laughs> you were precious. I wanted to just do a little, a little my DJ action and flip of the switch and. <laughs> flip the script switch. I'm not really sure which it is I wanted to ask you some questions so I wanted to know how you do it um you're saying that I'm doing a lot but how are you managing all the things that you are doing because last time I talked to you at one point you were going up I think you were going up for tenure 
or going towards your tenure process. And then there was also uh, a show that was happening, but you were also at a conference and you were also being the president of fate. So how are you, how are you handling all of that? How do you do it? Oh my goodness. Well, I, I sweat a lot, but in, in all seriousness, I, um, I, I don't really know. I mean, I think I've always been somebody that does well when I have a lot of things on my plate. I guess I, I'm just in that way. And, and I, I don't think I'm, I'm perfect at it. I don't think I have anything figured out really at all, but I definitely, I wake up really early. I make intentional time to do things that I think are important. I, yeah, I mean, man, I'm, I'm not even good at answering these questions that you're asking me. <laughs> I, I try to do a little bit of, of drawing every day. So even if that's just like on a post-it note in the kitchen, um, I think how you start your day and how you end your day is really important. And so I try to, you know, I have like certain rituals or habits that I, I find really comforting and important. And I think I'm just learning to be like nice to myself. I, I can be kind of hardcore sometimes, which I'm sure will, will, will shock no one if they know me. And I can get really hard on myself. You know, I like to make a lot of lists and I like to check them off and I can get really like task mode McGee about things. And so I think it helps me to calm down to just sort of do like one thing at a time. So I'll set a timer on my phone and I'll be like, okay, I'm going to just do my emails for 20 minutes and then I'm going to... When the timer goes off, I'm just going to be done with that. And then I'm going to go over here and do this, and then I'm going to do that. I mean, I just kind of, like, section off my day, and it, it relaxes me, which sounds weird, but I enjoy it that way. <laughs> that is actually really useful feedback because it is if it's something <laughs> for me. I, I mean, you kind of need to make an outline of your day the way you would make an outline of an essay or something. And it's interesting to hear that you do that, that you time your activities because it's something that I've been playing with, with making myself – you know, some of these books I'm reading are more seductive than others. Some of them are a little more. Right. So t- I will time myself. I'll be like, okay, this is my time for reading this book and I'm going to do it for an hour. And then this is my time for doing this activity. So that's really useful because I felt a little bit, I've started that recently and I felt a little bit weird doing it, but it's nice to hear that you are also cutting up your time that way and sort of making a more regimented schedule, even on these days when you're not teaching that are less regimented. Right, right. And, and, and I think, you know, on those days where I'm not teaching, um, I think that's where, I mean, and, and, and not my entire, I mean, it's not like I wake up and I'm setting timers, you know, until I go to bed, but I just, um, for, for certain things where I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, I'm just so easily distracted. And I think I'm a, I'm a pretty curious person. And so if I'm, especially in front of my laptop or on my phone, I know I'm just going to go into like, just deep internet of like, pop-up book research or, or something, you know, that, that isn't really timely that I don't actually need to get done at that moment. But I, uh, so it, it definitely helps me to kind of stay focused because if, if I'm multitasking and like doing an email and then reading a book and then running on the treadmill and, you know, it just, it just feels like I'm not really present in my life. And so for me, like in my house, I have certain rooms that I don't like bring my laptop in or I don't bring my phone into my studio or, you know, whatever. So I can just kind of focus on what I'm doing. <laughs> no, that is not, not that that makes it, you know, any, any more pr- productive necessarily or good, but it just kind of helps me with the process. Well, I, I believe that it does actually. Um, I think that what you're talking about, did you read that Cal Newport book, um, deep work? It's, that's basically the theory. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can really only do one thing. Uh, that multitasking is this illusion, and we need to have these moments of concentrated depth in our work. Um, and if setting timers or assigning yourself moments to do those things are the way you need to do them, then I think that's genius, actually. I've been really trying to uh, be more disciplined in that myself because I love to multitask. It's sort of the way my work is. You know, I say I'm reading all these different books at the same time, frequently trying to also have a conversation and also be on the internet. And it, it isn't actually accomplishing what I want to be accomplishing unless I cut out some of those things. So it's, it's really smart actually. Well, and I, I spent so much time of my adult life doing just that, you know, I would do like 900 things at once and I would teach it seven different universities and I would just drive all over and just in this total tor tornado of activity. And it just was exhausting and tiring. And I didn't feel like, I just felt like things were happening to me and that I wasn't really in my life. I was just sort of reacting to it all the time. And so, um, so, so for me, and I'm, I'm not good at just like sitting and being quiet and being still, that's incredibly stressful to me. And so, <laughs> um, so it's, it's been really, it's been really challenging, but in, in a really nice way, you know, just, just to think about being more reflective and being more aware of what I'm doing and, and feeling like I, I can improve my habits and I can improve things like that. And yeah. it's never too late to like learn things or try things differently. Yeah. To learn new habits. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm developing some of that myself. I think I'm sort of on the, uh, maybe a few steps behind you. I feel like you've kind of mastered some of this and I'm, I'm going in that direction. One thing that I am not. Oh gosh, I definitely have not mastered it. <laughs> I have not mastered it at all, at all. It's all a process. It really, really is. I mean, I have days where I'm just like, I snooze my alarm like nine, 19 times. I just can't, can't get it together, you know? You and are? I think, I don't know. I mean, my, my goal is not perfection. I mean, that, that's just not interesting to me at all. You know, I don't want to be like, okay, I'm done. I've figured this out. Like, how boring is that? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's true. I, I also have like days that are more successful than others, but I do think you're a practitioner. And I think that maybe one of your secrets of success is that I need to, that I want to try to emulate, but I'm not sure how is, I don't know if you're willing to share with the, the podcast universe, what time you wake up in the morning, but it blows my mind. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I don't do this as much in the summer. The summer is like a more kind of fluidy time. But yeah, I, I like the idea. And, and I haven't always been a morning person, but I wake up usually between like four and five in the morning during the academic year, during the week. Nice. And But I also stay up kind of late. I don't go to bed at like 8 p.m. Um, or anything like that. And I probably should, and I should be better at those kinds of things. But, but yeah, the there's something so exciting to me and I haven't always been like this, but, but there's something so exciting about getting up and it's like dark and you're like the only one awake. It just feels like you're like creeping up on the day and it's just so magical. And then I can, you know, get things done and it feels like I have this extra time somehow. Yeah. And it's slow time. Like, I mean, I slowly drink my coffee and I slowly, you know, walk my dog. Everything, nothing's like zippity doo dah. I'm not waking up, you know, in any kind of energy. State, but it's just so it feels really good and I think once I realized that although I don't like necessarily getting up early all the time it makes my day so much better when I can just kind of do those things for myself that I enjoy doing and you know like swimming or, or whatever it is or just reading or just looking at a pop-up book or just whatever it just makes me feel like a person you know yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a really good way. You're talking about starting your day and ending your day um, in ways you want your day to go. And that way of warming up to the day. I love that time when you have a moment to collect yourself. And it takes me hours to wake up. I really cannot wake up and go teach a class. I need to be awake for three hours to really mm -hmm. to give any kind of useful lecture. Um, so I am not able to get up as early as you are, but I'm trying to get myself to get up earlier because it does feel like I get a little bit more. It's like I can prepare my mind. I then have time to eat, which apparently it's important that you eat food. That's a thing that you're supposed to do in the morning. I've been told. Yeah. And getting that time to, to sort of center yourself or drink coffee as slowly as you want to, that is very blissful. And these are the things that make me feel like an adult. I'm starting to understand what adulting is about and that might be part of it. And I, I just really believe that like, it's like the small things in your life actually become like the really big things, you know, like the small little habits, like, do you return your shopping cart? at H-E-B or Kroger or what, I mean, you know, like that's like a, don't be a jerk, you know, like return your stupid shopping cart to the shopping cart area. Like that's a little thing, but that in the grand scheme of things becomes a bigger thing. And it's just like how you start your day and how you end it. I mean, those can like be really great and just like really sort of set you off. At least for me, they, they can sort of send me off into like a really positive, positive space. <laughs> Uh, we brought it full circle. Perfect. Full yeah. I mean, I, there's been a lot of talk. I've seen a lot of tweets and things recently about how it's not that hard to just not be an asshole. Like you can be mm -hmm. uh, it's not that hard to, to be a good person. It's small things and returning the shopping cart, but that applies to yourself also. It's not that hard to take care of yourself. It, it takes a little bit more discipline, I think. And sometimes we're comfortable with, but taking the time to do the things that make you feel like you got yourself together, taking the time to um, get the exercise or put the food in your body or whatever you need. You know, I mean, it's a self-care idea, but it is a greater success. Do, though you may master it, I do think that you do that well. And that's part of the equation in balancing all these things. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, I definitely believe like what you, you what you spend your time doing and thinking about, like that actually expands, you know, it's like if all I did is just laser focus on, you know, all the things that suck in my life or, you know, whatever I can't fix or whatever it is, then that's going to become bigger in my mind. And so I feel like if I can just focus on things that I, I can do like those little things, then that expands and gets bigger in my mind. And that, Feels good. I don't know if that makes any sense. I feel like yeah. I went off in sort of a weird direction there. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, I you're definitely my guru. Um, but so in transitioning and thinking about the future and how it expands into the future, what are you thinking? What is your plan for the future? Val, do you know what you're going to be doing? Like, what do you want to do? Like, I mean, I, I'm oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. What are your life goals? Do you have a plan for like, do, you, do are you the kind of person that makes the five-year plan or do you just sort of, I have a tendency if I'm not careful to jellyfish through life 
things just blow me in one direction or another. So I have to really consciously like raise my sail to catch the winds I want to catch. Um, or are you a five-year planner or are you more of a jellyfish sailor? Wow. I love that jellyfish sailor analogy. Um, that's really fun. Yeah. I mean, I I tend to be, yeah. (laughs) Um, I tend to be pretty goal oriented, but they're not by a certain time or by, you know, August 17th, you know, 2019 or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely things that I, I want to improve on or that I, I want to be doing or that I, I hope I get to do, but they're, they're not like, I don't even know how some of them I would even check off a box. Maybe they're just more kind of reminders to myself. Like I just want to, you know, continue to be curious and I, I don't want to become jaded or, um, like angry grumper kind of person, which I think some of us have maybe seen people do in higher education. Um, I don't want to become lazy or complacent when, or hopefully if I, I get, I earn tenure. Yeah. I just, I guess I just want to keep pushing myself and trying things. I, I, you know, I just, I, I want to like say yes to adventures and like be somebody that I think like the last year I've thought a lot about just like being more reflective and really thinking about, you know, what I say or what I don't say and like how that could impact the people around me, you know, as, as I teach in a collaborative, um, environment and I have wonderful dear friends that I'm, you know, close with and, and, communities that I I'm a part of. And so I guess that's something that, that I think about. So it's not like a list. It's more like a tangle of like a a pile of, of things that are more vague probably than, than anything else. Right. It's rhizomatic. Exactly. 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 But yeah, but I'm, I'm definitely comfortable in like a process of things and I don't feel like I need a particular like landing zone, just sort of a general, general direction. Yeah. General direction is smart. And I think that the the thing you're saying about not letting yourself become jaded is really important right now. I am less at risk for um, being jaded in teaching, I think, and more just with the political moment and uh, things that are going on with the world in terms of you know, ecology and our relationship to the planet. It's easy to become I can see my, how easy it would be to fall into kind of a um, early onset grump. Uh, so I am yes. I'm actively resisting the early onset grump and trying to remind myself of the, the good things. And like you said, uh, I think that, you know, it's sort of an maybe it's we're playing with kind of like an Oprah Winfrey um, think it and believe it kind of theory here. But. Yeah, just being being cognizant of the things that are going really well and the things that we are lucky to have, being aware of all the privileges in my life and all of the the ways in which I am succeeding are more useful to me um, than bemoaning the things that are not working. And I, I try to still be informed. I try to stay conscious of all of these other elements. Yes, I yes. Said, um, on the media, but I'm also again balancing that with two dope queens so that I can continue to move forward. So I think that's a smart. Exactly, that's that's so smart. And I um and have have you ever listened to um pantsuit politics? It's Ooh. a podcast um, of these two women, and 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 one is on the right and one is on the left. Um, but they don't yell at each other and they're not mean to each other. They actually have like 
conversations and they're sort of funny and they're Southern. So you can get a little like Southern action going on there. Cause I know you're from Tennessee, right? From Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, I'm sort of from all over the place. They, my dad was in the military and then the air force. So we moved around, but my family is all from Tennessee and is in Tennessee and that from is Tennessee. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. That's my home place. Um, so I got my, I got a little of the grits in my, my veins. I don't know if that, that doesn't really make any sense, but oh, yeah. <laughs> the pants politics thing is not something I have heard about. And I will be checking out because I would love to hear people talking about these things without yelling at each other. Yeah. It's actually really, really intelligent. Um, and the way that they're kind to each other and the way that they ask questions and kind of talk about things that, that are hard to talk about, you know, and people have opinions and that's, that's great. Have an opinion, you know, but don't, don't be a toolbox, you know, and don't yell at people. That's, that's not going to help anyone. But yeah, I, I, um, I definitely think, you know, it's important not to have like rose colored glasses on or, or be naive about what's going on. But I think, I think more often if, if you look around, there's, there's, there's a lot to be grateful for and there's a lot to be excited about. I mean, I think that's, that's what's so wonderful about being a maker, being an artist, whatever, being an educator is that you get, you know, you have these like seasons of the summer or the fall and you get to kind of try things out and investigate and experiment, which is so exciting. Yeah. It's a time to recalibrate and all of the trying to stay positive is a way to continue to be able to resist and be an ally. Um, but also, a way of making sure that I continue to make my own work and, and do the things that are, that are important for my life. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah. So you can have energy to, to, you know, be an activist or be, um, a participant in, in the community for sure. Well, Gwen, I I could literally talk to you like all day long. We could like fall asleep on the phone, (laughs) but (laughs) <laughs> and maybe we should make that a goal um, for our next phone conversation. But but I really appreciate you, you know, being on the podcast and talking about your work. And yeah, you gave me some some good ideas about books I want to read and, and things I want to investigate. So I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me on. This has been a very wonderful conversation. And I do think that uh, we could probably continue to talk for another like five to six hours. If people want to just cancel <laughs> for the day. <laughs> We'll just chat. Right. But yeah. That's right. And I might need to snack on. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Valerie. This has been really awesome. Um, and I am excited to see what you do. I know that I hope uh, your tenure process goes smoothly. And I'm really excited to see what you're making and um, excited to see you at the FATE conference in 2019 in Columbus. Ohio. Ohio. Okay, Gwen. Well, thanks again so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversation about art foundations, visit the FATE website at foundationsart.org. Don't forget the dash between foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Gaddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevere. If you like what you hear on Positive Space, be sure to give us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcast. Better yet, send us some audio. You can call Positive Space at 904-990-FATE. That's 904-990-3283. 
you may find your voice on the next episode of Positive Space. 